You are listening to the Birth Bruja podcast, radical, transformative, empowering birth work in all its nuances. Reproductive justice, racial justice, reclaiming ancestral wisdom, decolonizing the birth space. Here, my friends, we go deep. Join us each month as we chat with activists, scholars, healers, community wellness workers, birthing folk, and beyond to explore topics from their roots to their leaves. You are listening to episode 12, Money and Privilege of the Heart on Sleeve series. We are joined by birth workers Daniela Morales, Kelia Alder, and Brooke Patmore. This is part two of a two-part series where we dive into conversations that are typically reserved or behind closed doors. In this episode, we continue exposing our proverbial underbelly by diving into the conversation of money, privilege, and birth work. I am particularly grateful for my guests being open to record such a conversation because A, this is an extremely charged topic that can easily isolate and trigger those present and listening. And B, each of us in the room carry very different intersections of privilege and marginalization. Thus, I find it interesting how despite all of our differences in identity and life situation, there are so many similar threads. Since this topic could bring out the awkward chicken in all of us, I decided to start the conversation by sharing a bit about my own intersections of money and privilege in the effort to set the tone. Despite me planning on spilling these beans, I can attest to my heart pounding and chest tightening as I continued to share. It was such a naked feeling, and I was very much aware of how I was opening myself up to folks viewing me differently, critiquing me in brand new ways. Did I say everything I meant to say? Mostly. Did I say it half as eloquently as I meant to? Not even. In just the first few minutes of recording the show, I was reminded of the courage and humility that is required to show up for these challenging conversations again and again. Thus, I dedicate this episode to all of us out there doing this work, doing our best to navigate the complexity of power, privilege, and identity, doing our best to continue to put our intentions into words and actions, seeking courage and humility as we continue to show up. And once again, special thanks to my guests for allowing such exposing conversation to be recorded. As someone who is mixed race, with that experience came growing up with also two very different socioeconomic worlds. My mom's Mexican. I lived with her and I saw my dad twice a week. And living with my mom was very much like Midwest blue collar experience. And we lived in a white community and we were like, you know, with our two little talons hanging on into, you know, being able to stay in that community where a lot of my friends were white with blonde hair and highlights and their moms were stay at home moms with big shiny red acrylic nails and like folks got brand new Mustangs on their 16th birthday because in Michigan, a lot of the big wigs work for the auto industry. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that were not at all my experience. Um, And I also want to acknowledge that we had a home and 
we had food on the table and had clothes, you know, I was able to participate in a lot of um, extracurricular stuff because my parents made it happen. And so there's a lot of privilege there, too. And being in that community, I was very aware about how different our experience was. And meanwhile, my dad is an attorney, and it was while I was in high school that he started to become really successful. So then suddenly we went from like, you know, $10 seats at the Tigers game eating like $1 hot dogs to much more expensive seats at the Tiger baseball games with like, you know, then I'm hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Three hot dogs, exactly. And I remember like noticing when my dad switched, I forgot the beer he used to drink, but it was like Coors Light or something shitty like that. And then he started drinking Blue Moon. Mm. And I'm like, oh, daddy's got money now. (laughs) I remember like, you know, just the shift. And so it went from, like, being in a home where my mom, and I also want to acknowledge, my mom's going to transcribe this episode. And, Mom, I just want to have the caveat that I'm very happy with my childhood. (laughs) Okay, you did great. But also acknowledging that, like, I never felt like I could, now I'm talking to my mom, I never felt like I was comfortable asking you for things. Because even if you said yes, I'd feel guilty because I knew that you were busting your ass. You had another job on top of your full-time job. She'd be at home transcribing. So she'd be up like all hours mm-hmm. just like getting this done to get mm-hmm. extra money for us to buy like, you know, basketball shoes and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so go from that situation to them visiting with my dad where we went out all the time. And my dad would, would buy me, you know, randomly go shopping, which is also a huge privilege to mm-hmm. randomly go shopping. And he'd buy me like a really nice jacket and it would be really cool, and I'd really like it because all you know, kids at school were wearing like Abercrombie and Aero Pastel and all that shit, and I'd feel like, oh, I can fit in, but then I'd feel guilt because I know that my mom hadn't bought anything nice for herself, or that my brother, you know, my older brother, his basketball shoes had like big holes in the side. So there was this what felt like a dichotomy. So then, fast forwarding to here and the now, I am a product of both worlds where I am very aware of my privilege in regards to knowing that because of my dad's hard work and because of my grandparents' hard work, my grandparents saved like squirrels. They were depression babies. They had nothing. Like hunger was a really big narrative in my grandfather's childhood. And so therefore they saved everything. And then when we got to college, I'm the eldest grandchild on that side. They surprised me with uh, money to help pay for a semester of school. And so therefore, because of their gift and because I was able to have a dad who helped me pay it off, like I was able to pay off all my student loans in my 20s, which I know is very, very rare. I just got chills. Unheard of. I know, (laughs) y'all. This is is very real here. I'm exposing it all. And it isn't, it's both like, when I say embarrassing, meaning that it's such a huge gift and it's such a straight up privilege. And I know it's not normal. I know like painfully, like I know so many loved ones who are fucking struggling to barely make their payment. And I know it's a huge thing. And so anyways, it's because of that privilege, honestly, that I have been able to do things such as afford to then pay for a doula training, mm-hmm. you know, to afford for the, the transition time when I turned from a doula trainee into doing it professionally, right? Where like, You need the experience, and to get the experience, you have to do it unpaid. But then how do you do it unpaid when you need money? You know, because I didn't have that big debt, I was able to, like, save a little mound of money and being able to, like, you know, okay, I'm just going to accept any birth that came to me. And I was able to power through. It was two months. Mm. And then also talking about privilege and power, my partner, 
he has a full-time job. He able to support himself. Um, I didn't have to, but I knew that if I wasn't able to handle my part of the rent, there's a good chance that he'd be able to help me cover me. And then again, to continue this conversation, I'm not sending my parents money. I don't have to take care of anyone else physically or financially. So because of all of these things, I was able to merge into this work in a very different timeline than a lot of folks. So in that, it's really uncomfortable when I want to relate to my comrades and I want Mm -hmm. to share experiences and I want to sustain myself in this work. I want to be able to, especially talking about babies, like I want to be able to save up enough money to be able to buy basketball shoes for my kiddo. I want to be able to eventually try to afford to move into a home. And I also know how for so many people it's inaccessible. Hiring a birth worker is almost like a luxury, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's like getting a massage. It's a luxury. It's like, no, bro, like this is, everyone deserves a doula. I'm going to pull that from the roots of labor. Everyone Mm. deserves to have someone in the room that has experience, that has you in mind and to hold. And and so therefore I want to make myself accessible. And then on the flip side, there's a lot of folks of privilege out here. Mm. So there's this whole other dynamic of my work where there's folks who live in ginormous houses who have lifestyles that are totally different than mine that I realize that the cost of hiring me, of hiring the team, is just a drop in the bucket to them. And then this, that weirdness, at least for me, it feels weird. It's like, wow, I'm like really stressed out about making sure that I cook enough food so that I don't have to spend money at the next birth because hospital food's so expensive. Like, it's like, it's weird to like, be like, I'm freaking out about this. And mm-hmm. then you just offered me really expensive sparkling water with cheese. Like, thank you for doing that. <laughs> and this is so weird. So to put all my shit out there, mm. the navigation of money and privilege is a really juicy topic because it's hella uncomfortable because it triggers so many people. And it's something that's, I think, really important to dive into because it brings up Conversations around integrity, ethics, compassion, the redistribution of resources, Mm -hmm. Mm self-worth, all those things. All your faces are still looking at me blinking, blinking, but I just... It's it's, everything you're saying is so spot on (laughs) that my brain is like firing. There's so many things to think about with this. What is is your journey into around money and privilege? What has that been like for you, Kelia? Yeah, work. similar um, looks at both sides of the coin. Of uh, My family was originally um, surviving on a pastor's salary. One parent was providing with five kids. And then um, we moved to East Africa. So I grew up in both places. And one of the reasons my parents moved us there was so that we would be exposed to just how privileged we still were. So mm. in- instantly, as soon as we moved to Uganda, um, we were in the top, you know, the top tier when it came to class. I mean, we could hire people. There was somebody who cooked our meals. There was somebody who cleaned our clothes. There was somebody who took care of our dogs. There was someone who cleaned the garden. Like, just from that difference, and my 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 parents were very, you have to see, this is what extreme poverty looks like, and we're going to, like, do what we can to remember our privilege and, like, help in a way that isn't, like, shitty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no safer complexes around. But, like, I've seen both sides of it, and and... To be honest, the conversation around class in the U.S. often makes me really uncomfortable for 
the additional reason of like our quality of life here, even if we're in student debt, we're still in the top tier right. globally. Like mm. we, the ways that we think are so beyond yeah. what families think. Like the average salary in Uganda is two dollars mm. a day, mm. yeah. and they have kids, and you know they have like they're trying to send their kids to school. Like, so I think that is really important to hold. Um, and oh my gosh, when it comes to like making it as a doula, everything you're saying, like when you're walking into a family's house that is so clearly, they're so clearly wealthy and you're like, oh gosh, I explained my sliding scale to them over the phone. Like why, why are they wasting their time? And they're like, no, it's okay. I can afford your, I can afford your full fee. Um, yeah. I'd just like to interject and yeah. say, in my experience, I found some of the wealthiest ones are the ones trying to get the deal. Yes, they are. <laughs> like, I'll offer them the sliding scale. They'll take it. And then I get there and I'm like, yeah, it's uh. a new <laughs> Tesla. One time yeah. I got, they had bought a second Tesla. What the I know. Listen. Or this one woman, she was like, um, hey, so I hear you offer a sliding scale. We'd really like to take advantage of that because with the full-time nanny, we, nanny we've hired oh, wow. and I only get three months of paid leave. So like, how do you have that conversation? So actually what I've started doing just in the last few months was saying, I have a sliding scale. If you're interested, let me know. And then I send them something that breaks down into mm-hmm. different yeah. tiers. So I say like, if you're in this category, some examples that might put you in this category are you don't have debt. Or if you do have debt, it doesn't stop you from meeting your basic mm-hmm. needs. So you mm-hmm. can pay for transport, rent, and food without worrying. Maybe you own a car or you rent a car or you are able to go on a vacation once a year without financial hardship. If that's you, then I'm expecting you to pay the full fee. And then I break it down with, you know, middle class and then lower class. And so it's like a, like a quick class lesson for them. <laughs> if they think that like, yeah, just because they bought the new jet, then they can't afford their doula, then like, it's kind of like, that's not how I'm thinking. And so far it seems to work. They're like, oh yeah, I could tell they were, they were looking for a deal. And then once they saw like, oh, I guess people are poorer than me, they, they reel it in. Yeah. Especially out here. And especially within more political spaces, people don't want to acknowledge their privilege because it's like so mainstream, you know? It's like, oh man, yeah, like I struggle. And then they go to like Rainbow Grocery and spend $600. Or like I grew up poor, so I deserve to not like, I don't know. It's also hard though, because then I also have friends who like, are financially struggling but they like they deserve to have like the luxuries that everyone else does too you know like yeah. I'm trying hard when I'm going to these families homes I'm trying not to like police their financial oh, yeah. use like right. yeah. like it's okay that you ordered pizza yeah. instead of rice and beans maybe it's not quote unquote the most physically responsible thing but you don't deserve to be punished over and over for being a poor person that's true <laughs> that's it's true. not your fault and thank you for saying that cuz also I know my total judgmental, gross, mean person that's, like, deep inside that sometimes, like, judges. Me too. Me too. (laughs) Like, that's a very helpful thing to remember. And also, too, about privilege is that there's a lot of unseen things, right? So you could see someone who makes a shit ton of money in the peninsula, and they may be shipping third of their income to their family overseas. Or also in the context of of my partner, a lot of people perceive that he's an able-bodied person, but he's suffered from chronic pain for most of his adult life and he's still paying off medical bills from surgery that happened years ago so that's also something right that like we wouldn't see on the surface and that plays into 
understanding of you know we can have understandings around gender mm-hmm. and and race and all these things and yes that analysis can be there and that compassion of showing up and knowing that critique is still there and like these are individuals that we're dealing with yeah. just as we are individuals so let's like bring yeah. it back to you um yeah can you just speak more i guess if you don't mind too yeah to how you've been navigating as a doula specifically yeah and being in the in the bay because you've you've only been here for a few months yeah oh my gosh the hustle is so real Mm. i mean you just birth workers especially because we're already giving people and because um the schedule is crazy the other week i left home on tuesday i got home on sunday after three back to back births but i needed the money you know like i had backup people just in case but i was like oh yeah i got two and a half while she was on her epidural, like, <laughs> I can do it. And thankfully, I was tapping and making sure I wasn't, like, losing my mind. And mm-hmm. I, I think I provided good care. But I didn't want to have to compensate someone else just because I, I, like, needed rent. Yeah. And I'm, like, supporting myself and my partner right now. And so that hustle is so real, working your tail off. When I first got into this, I, I had a similar privilege that you were talking about, Ari, where I had a partner who made enough to support us both. So I could have those few months to ramp up your business. I've heard several doulas like share with with newer doulas saying like, just go for it. Like stop hesitating and just like grab it and do the thing, like commit. And then the clients will come. And I know they're speaking from a place of privilege where maybe mm. if they didn't have the money, there was someone out there where like if they were about to get evicted, they could call on that person. Mm-hmm. And some people just don't have that. Or like, right. it means you're going without health insurance. Right. There's so many things that a person saying that is not thinking of. And it, oh, it really gets me. But I didn't have that. I had, I had somebody who was providing for me so I could slowly ramp everything up and then eventually start charging enough to like stay afloat. I feel like this topic is controversial and talked about in birth circles everywhere because it's like well how much do you charge and like Mm. well I'm I'm more experienced than you so you shouldn't be charging that much like we're all trying to tell each other what to do Mm -hmm. and ugh, it gets really dirty really Mm -hmm. fast Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's true Brooke how did your transition into birth work how, how did that journey go for you in terms of navigating the hustle of it as well. Because I know you are very community in tuned and you are really wanting to show up with integrity. So how did you navigate what you needed versus accessibility to others and so forth? To be honest, I'm still figuring it out. Mm. I think it was really hard. Um, I mean, I do want to acknowledge that I have an immense amount of privilege just in the fact that I'm white. And coming from a middle-class family uh, grew up, I grew up in the Bay Area, like in California, in mm-hmm. America, the U.S. So there's so much I hold in that. But, you know, when I got into birth work, I I am single. Um, I don't have a partner. Um, I also don't have any dependents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have any kids to take care of or any other family members to take care of. But um, I got into birth work after moving back um, from living overseas for um, a good amount of time, living off of you know, nonprofit money, <laughs> like very little money. Um, and I never had culture shock when I moved overseas, but moving back into the Bay, moving back into San Francisco, I had total reverse culture shock and also just felt so overwhelmed at like, how the fuck am I going to make it here? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was obsessively applying for jobs that I would never want to do and like trying to just hustle here and there. I even like, 
ran food for Postmates, <laughs> did all sorts of things. Mm. But getting started, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to like hold another job and then figure out how to start, you know, doing the volunteer shifts. And, and also I think what's something that's challenging for me is I do feel like everybody deserves a doula. And if I could like this work that, and I think it's true for all of us, like we come to this work out of our passion. I wish I didn't need to get paid. I would happily mm. do this work for free. But at the end of the day, like, <laughs> I do need to pay the bills mm. and um, survive. So a lot of that looks like similar to Kelia. Before I joined the team I work with now, I was a solo doula and then I partnered and I'd be at like burst for three days straight mm-hmm. and I could call my partner in or a backup, but I'm like, I'm not giving money over. Right. Like I can't, you know. So I, you know, I did a similar thing. I started offering a sliding scale and I quickly learned that I needed to offer a, a little um, diagram yeah. <laughs> of where you might Thanks. fall in this sliding scale. I volunteer, but I, I also balance that with charging a higher fee and um, for folks that can pay for it. But it's a constant thing that I'm trying to navigate. And, and as a white person, I feel pretty strongly that I should be paying back reparations to folks of color. Mm. And so I, I try to take a percentage of, of what I make and give it to organizations that are, you know, training up doulas of color and, and allowing doulas to be accessible for um, folks in their own community because I don't think I'm the right person necessarily to serve those communities, mm. but um, I should put my money where my mouth is, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's a really hard thing to kind of navigate and figure out. I don't have a health insurance in the Bay. In order to qualify for Medi-Cal, like, like impossible to live on what, <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. I haven't, I'm still trying to figure out. I, yeah. I don't know how I can afford yeah. to pay four to $500 a month to to cover my, yeah. And, and that's something in this work, you know, we're creating our own businesses. So we don't have, like, I don't get sick time. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. I don't have, like, what happened. And that's something I've actually had to be, be thinking about a lot. Like, what, how am I, what am I going to be doing, like, if I get hurt? Like, right. this job is so physical. And um, what do I do if, if I can't, like, at this point, I'm just, like, I'm fucked if, like, <laughs> <laughs> if you can't work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. How how do I hold my core values and hold to my truth, but also, like, get paid what's fair and equitable for me to live and survive? You know? Yeah. It's it's a balance. Still working it out. <laughs> yeah. Hear yeah. you. Without letting the, the concern for money, like, mentality take over... Even the interaction I have with my client, you know, like I want it to be community based and like Mm, have this relationship that is not just like this exchange of goods. I know some doulas who talk that way and I I hear that like we are here to provide a service um, and it is valuable um, when care service often isn't valued very highly. But I don't know, like the, when the money side of it creeps in too much, then you can feel a shift totally. in in how much how that person trusts Listen, you. Listen, money carries energy. Mm-hmm. It, it has intense energy. We all have our own shit around it, right? Yeah. Like going back to the the last episode, we we aren't enough. Like mm. I often feel like I'm not responsible enough or not mm. wise enough or whatever. Like with the funds that I receive in navigating those 
with other people asking for money <laughs> and then things happen and some people want a discount here or discount there like what if this happens I'm having to be like no like you still gotta pay me <laughs> right. yeah. like my time is valuable right like um, I don't think a lot of folks understand what it means to live a life on call and that is a big chunk of a fee that we're we're asking. Mm-hmm. Um, like, hey, at any point in time, we're ready to put our life down and come to you. That means that I don't get to leave. I don't get to leave the city. Mm-hmm. I don't get to partake in, in <laughs> adult beverages, adult beverages <laughs> or other fun activities. Um, you know, like I have to live kind of a whole different lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. also saying no to other work yeah. mm-hmm. to make sure that you have enough. Yeah. 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 Do I have another question for y'all. Um, and Danielle, if you wanted to speak to this, just because you haven't jibed, jibed in, jibed? Jibed in. Jibed in. We keep taking up all this. I know. Yes. So, <laughs> no, it's fine. Is that um, in the topic of thinking about price, right, uh, have y'all ever run into issues of like, well, I'm not really that good. Or like, mm. well, you know, like, again, Googling on the internet and being like, oh, well, that like epic, amazing midwife charges this. And wow, she's been doing this for 25 years. And, you know, like, have you run yeah. into that? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, <laughs> um, so I've actually, I've taken on, so I work with the team, right? And we have an on- on-call schedule, and the price is set by the owner of the of the company, and it's amazing how it operates. So I've taken on clients on my own, and with the personal client, I I had to put, you know, this limit down of of how much I needed, and I gave her my price point, and I did. I had to like really do that personal work of like, wait, how much am I worth, Mm. right? Did the research, looked around, and ultimately it came down to, no, fuck that. I am worth Mm. this much. And to be honest, I don't think I had any guilt, like, Mm. setting my price. And my price is pretty high. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, my price is pretty high. Um, But I came at it like, I got a kid. I got my family. I have my own shit that I have to pay for. Mm. Like, if I'm going to do this work outside of my own on-call schedule, then it needs to be worth it. I need to know that I'm getting paid for my time, my energy, yeah. my love, my space. And so, yeah. so no, I didn't feel guilty. Yes. Um, and, like, I know, like, I offer amazing work. Like, mm-hmm. I'm an amazing doula. And mm-hmm. I've done the self-care. I've done all the mm. classes. I've, <laughs> I've done everything that I need to do to get myself to this point where I can say that. Mm. So, Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, and I can't help but think about how different this would be if we were all white men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, I mean, uh, we'd be like, no, I'm better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm married to a white man and baby, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and I know you're used to this. Uh, but yeah, just thinking about the culture too, right? Like as women, as 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 a woman who's been socialized as a woman, who's been socialized as a woman of color, and also within Catholic context, to be a true woman, you have to, like self-deprecation, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh no, like mm. the martyr, the martyrdom, yes. and even though birth work. Uh, I'm doing air quotes here. It's often prescribed as women's work, Mm -hmm. right? Which means as if it's something that should just be natural Mm -hmm. and assumed and something that 
um, <laughs> something that's oh really awesome in the moment, but that's not like what society is built upon. Right. You know, uh, yeah, it's like extracurricular. Um, there's this, yeah, there's this like weird culture where it's like if you're truly passionate about this work, then you're not going to get caught up mm-hmm. about money. And then I really love what you said, Brooke, about how money is an exchange of energy. Mm-hmm. And especially in this context, like being vulnerable to illness, being vulnerable to losing housing at any moment, like being vulnerable to losing your car, right? Like it was it a few months ago, I got a $125 ticket while outside at a prenatal in the city because I like didn't park in the right time and our visit went over and blah, blah, blah. And that's mm. like more than I freaking make. <laughs> like, you know, like there's so yeah. much vulnerability that, um, that yeah, it's, it's hard to navigate. You know, it'd be like, yeah, like I am going to do it for the cause and I do mm. want to take, you know, um, low income and, and free births and all those things. And yeah, it's like to sit in our power and being like, I do want to support you and this month, I can't yeah. or like, in, you know, I do want to support you and like I'm worth yeah. put out there, right? Like in the Bay, it's very common, right? Like uh, two grand. Mm-hmm. I am worth two grand. Yeah. And if in a totally understandable, if you can't afford this, you know, totally legit. And here's a list of really quality, right. you know, folks that I know offer some some lower fees, yeah. you know, or there's just ways to do it where we stand in our power mm-hmm. while also acknowledging the reality mm-hmm. of the various intersections of privilege. Something that I want to point out is that we don't get paid like the first of the month, the 15th of the month. Right. We get paid this flat rate for one family and that rate has to last us for who knows who knows who knows you get the next client. So, Mm -hmm. yes, like two thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money to pay for a birth. But that two thousand dollars might have to last this doula for three months mm-hmm. <laughs> like real talk like, and that's not even one month's rent yeah. in a lot of places. Yeah. exactly so so yeah like there's different perspectives to have right i think there's a lot of balance that you have to think about when finding what's right for your own self and what you're charging and one is definitely like am i going to walk away from from serving these people and feel resentful mm-hmm. yeah so if you are then raise your price yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true um and also like but then, you know, how much can I take on, like, at lower fee or volunteer in a month to balance? Like, okay, yes, that's really important to my ethic to make room for that. Um, but I need this much uh, of paying clients in order to support that and how, you know, building that into the practice. And right now I'm actually working on building a practice with two other doulas. Um, and we're, like, thinking about this. And one thing that we want to do is offer a sliding scale and we use the the income index for the mm. city that we're serving in. Mm. And it's like, okay, if you make this much, then you can pay this much, you know, mm. and, and just like make it really simple. Um, and, you know, I think it'll, it kind of washes out in the end who can afford what. But I do, you know, like, yeah, there's room, there's room to be flexible, but if you're doing the work and you're like, I just was at this birth for three days and they were like, I had emotionally be present for them for like in an intense way for months leading up to it. And I got paid $500 and I don't know, (laughs) like if, if you're walking away feeling really run down, then, you know, maybe you need to do to raise your price. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm also just thinking of um, birth workers I've heard who like amp each other up being like, yes, we are worth this much and I'm agreeing with everything. And then I'll hear the like, and if they can't afford that much, like they should find a way. They Whoa, should just like, oh, you've never heard this? <laughs> I've heard this so no. many times. Mm. They should just like reprioritize their mm. life and they will oh, like shit. nine times out of 10. I'm like, you're speaking from such yeah. ignorance and such privilege that like these families are often they're like, yeah. I wish I could pay you yeah, more. Absolutely. I wish. And so, oh my gosh, one family, they could only pay me like $200. And then I like I visited their home. Like I knew that was a stretch for them. Yeah. And afterwards, after the birth, they were still like, we wanted to say thank you. Here's $50 more. Aww. And it was like the most giving thing. Right. Yeah. And here are people being like, they should just find $3,000 to throw at me. And, uh. I think it's so interesting <laughs> that often it is the folks that are struggling the most that are the most generous. Yeah. I find that yeah. really, really wild. Another thing I wanted to mention that um, – I've heard a lot is like for people talking to newer doulas getting into the work is just like, just charge this much your work. And I get that. But also I found it really helpful for me to be volunteer um, when I was starting out and even to charge a lower fee because I knew I didn't I didn't feel confident in what I had mm-hmm. to offer. And then that made me feel really good about being really honest of like, I don't know the answer to that question yet, right. but yeah. I will find out for you. You know what I mean? It helped me yeah. actually feel okay when I was going into these spaces and places like, cause there's a lot of pressure when you're mm. first getting into it and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't want to fuck up, but like that kind of takes it away. So that's something to think about as well. I mean, obviously you have to pay the bills and put food on the plate and some folks who don't have partners can can float them or mm-hmm. uh, another job like you may have to just out the gate start charging and that's cool but um you know there yeah. is that aspect too of like if I'm at a night client I know I'm not charging a full fee but if I like don't know something yet because I didn't have as much experience and I feel really okay being like yeah I don't know <laughs> let's yeah. find out together right. yeah. Yeah. yeah I think you remind me of something that I think is really important to acknowledge which is the power of community and the power of mentorship mm. right like in the context of this hyper professionalization of this work it's there's this this weird expectation, right? That we're supposed to be the expert of everything. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, a lot of folks struggle asking for help or asking for like, you know, can I shadow you? Yeah. And then on the other side, there's folks that are like, yeah, you can shadow me for $200, mm-hmm. you know, like- Or an, 800. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, I understand too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the it's a lot of value work. Of, of resources and time and- I mean, it's so much more. This is why I appreciated actually working on this team is because um, the way that this is built, right? Like we don't have to deal with that money conversation. Mm. We don't have to deal with the people who are like suddenly not answering their phones and haven't, you know, paid the second half of their deposit. And so I was able to do the work. And then also I was able to witness how y'all handled your prenatal visits, how Mm. y'all handled, you know, the full range of personalities and clients. Like I was able to deepen myself in the work before putting my energy then into the conversations around, you know, around money. And then also too, again, there's a lot of pros and cons to this team approach, um, to our team approach. And one of them is that, um, is that for better or for worse, there's space slash a need to have either a partner who can help you flow or in my case, I have another job. 
um, or, you know, or Brooke, like, I don't know how y'all do it, and Daniela, you too, how you do birth and postpartum, and, mm-hmm. and you, Kelia, <clears throat> like, y'all are superhuman. Um, and so there's some beauty, I think, to being able to hold on to, you know, being able to have a full-time family life, or that's how I want to prioritize, mm-hmm. to be able to, in my case, to be able to continue my work with the Rape Crisis Center, um, and that's flexible enough that my boss, you know, if I'm like, sorry, baby, She'll be like, okay, good luck. See you tomorrow or in yeah. two days. Like, like there's some beauty in that. Um, but also, yeah, mm-hmm. there's also a struggle in in being in the in-between. I just, I, what I appreciate about the way that y'all have been answering this conversation is just showing how it's constantly a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And, on the, and in the realm of ethics and integrity and philosophy, I also, and then knowing you individually and also how you presented yourself here, I think sometimes it's really easy to approach these conversations like it's a flow chart, yeah, as if there's like a one-size-fits-all sort yeah. of thing. And maybe that's helpful to some people, but I, in my opinion, to truly be of service, to truly continue to take care of ourselves um, and to truly come into this work with integrity, we constantly have to be reevaluating yes. mm-hmm. again and again and again. Mm-hmm. If we are hanging out with folks that are similar background and similar <laughs> access, again, to privilege in the moment, I mean, that's cool and comfortable, but also, like, check yourself, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And maybe it's time to get out of your box. Yeah. Um, I want to shift this to, to our next final section of questions. Um, which is questions from the community. This is kind of rapid style, okay? okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So prepare thyself. Oh, it's like a couple <laughs> sentences each. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What do you do when you need the money, but you don't vibe with the birthing couple? <sighs> exactly to what you just said. There's no black and white. The whole thing is gray. Like, if I need the money, I can I can suck it up and be a really loving person around them, and I'll do it if it's not, like, a threat to my safety and health. Yeah. I feel like with the team that we work in, we don't have like a big say so in the clients that we take. I mean, because we work in a team, we're able to take nine clients a month. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. which is amazing because we see a variety of things. But do we vibe with all of them? Nah, not all the time. (laughs) Um, But I think it's really helpful having the community, having other members of the of the team just kind of be like, hey, look, like I know this is not your people right now, but I can be that space for you when you get out of that crazy-ass prenatal visit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. There's also something really humbling, I think, yeah. about being with someone who, who you know, where it's like, you know where you, you say your normal joke? Or like you say your normal jam and you're used to people being like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Or like, or being like, oh, thank you for saying that. And this person just <laughs> silence. Yeah. So, it's like, not funny. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's, I feel like it kind of helps to, again, peg, take me back a few pegs and mm-hmm. also be like, and like, what's the bones? Like, what are the bones of this work? Like, yeah. how can I truly continue to show up with integrity with someone that like we wouldn't hang out if I wasn't here with you for yeah. 14, 15 20 hours. Well, it helps like it helps you define yourself, right? Yeah. Like yeah, it helps you like look deeper at yourself and who you are and what you're presenting and if the things that you are offering are really like in tune with with mm. you. Yeah. Yes, and <laughs> <laughs> definitely like gray and like um gray area. Gray area for sure, like you were saying, like it kind of case by case 
basis. But um, going in back into the worlds of like interviewing, like going out of the model that we're working in, um, I spent a lot of time taking on clients, um, you know, before I joined the team I work in now, uh, I learned hard lessons <laughs> of, you know, like saying yes when there was a lot of red flags from the beginning mm. and being like, oh, I don't know if that was actually worth the mm. the, the stress and the, um, I don't know, I don't know that it was worth it in the mm-hmm. end. And so, like, how do we, pr- again, how do we protect self-care, like, take care of ourselves to be, how do we make this work sustaining, right? Because, um, you know, like we were saying in the team dynamic we ha- um, I work with now, um, we don't get the option. But sometimes that's so, like, intensely draining. But then on the flip side, when you do find folks that you jive with it's like a Mm -hmm. whole nother experience and so empowering and life-giving and not even just like on a selfish level but like you feel like you can show up in a deeper way for them and that's you know I want to be true to myself in that um so it is something like I've been thinking a lot about and I think ultimately I just am looking forward to the day that I you know I think you eventually get to a place and do this kind of career where you get you are like saying no (laughs) you know Mm. like you're getting so many people you can be choosier essentially so I guess I look forward to that and it takes time right (laughs) I think again it's like a true privilege like I'm not at that point and I'm sure there's still a lot of folks that and I'm I'm grateful for the work I've done in in the team we work with now like you guys were saying like it does force you to kind of dig deep on a different level and Mm -hmm. figure out how you can show up for someone you wouldn't necessarily like pick <laughs> to be yeah. with yeah. um but also yeah there's a there's a heavy balance in it because it's like man if I just like go around like feeling so drained and so depleted mm-hmm. then like I'm not going to be able to do this a long time mm-hmm. like yes. it, you have to Burnout rate is so high yeah. for this work yeah so on that note about the being in the struggle in the moment and thinking about like how do I continue the next question How do you navigate the oppressive dynamics of the medical industrial complex without allowing your soul to shrivel? (laughs) Who wrote that? That's so good. Okay. So even I want to say this, that even if like a person has an unmedicated birth in the hospital, there are still like ways that their birth is being altered, Mm -hmm. being changed, um, being induced that it wouldn't be would it if it is a home birth or like free birth or whatnot right so I I feel like people sometimes say like oh well you know I'm having an unmedicated birth with the doula that doesn't mean that it's going to be all fucking peaches and roses mm-hmm. yeah we right? read that the doula lowers the statistical rate yeah. of me getting a cesarean so right. you're going to help me not get a cesarean right yeah no, no. okay pressure's on um so we go into the hospitals like having to fight the medical staff in some ways, right? And and like usually it's it's great, like our relationship with them, but sometimes like you really have to fucking navigate like the patriarch. You really yeah. have to navigate like privilege in the hospital. And it's hard. It's hard to like save your soul, like you're saying yeah. and, and all to, of this. And to just piggyback on a moment here, uh I think that sometimes when people hear like, 
oh, sometimes it feels like we're fighting the medical staff. It's actually us not fighting the medical staff. It's mm-hmm. it's pushing against the medical culture. Right. Where a lot right. of times the medical staff. Right. It's not one person. It's exactly. The They're they doing what mm-hmm. they think is best. They're doing what they've been taught. The majority of folks that I've encountered in the birth room are there because it is a passion of theirs. Mm-hmm. And it's like the auntie. It's like the auntie who's like coming in telling you how to live your life. And you're like, actually, like that was really fucked up. But you just said and problematic yeah. for the following ways but i know you're coming in here doing your best you know it's like mm-hmm. it's just it's a lot to navigate right. and and it can be really exhausting in in soul shriveling mm-hmm. um how have you guys i mean yeah how have you practiced like being able to recognize when oppressive things are happening or violent things are happening and also like what have you done to take care of yourself and or your client mm. I mean, I think most of us can notice pretty quickly whether our client is being treated with disrespect just from the outset. Obviously, if it's a person of color, it's like pretty obvious immediately mm. or however they identify. Like, yeah. And I try to get ahead of it as much as I can and sort of like, oh, how, I, I try to bring them on my side. Like, how long have you been doing this? And, you know, like, do you do you practice laboring down with your client? You know, like, because mm. I'm not just thinking of my client. That's the priority, obviously. But I'm thinking of all the doulas down the road and all the clients down the road who are going to be working with the same OB or the same shitty nurse Mm -hmm. and need to have it set up for them. That if I just like chew her out in front of the client, like it's not good for the labor and that she's never going to trust doulas again. So try to like get ahead of it, kind of go out of my way to like suck up to them. Honestly, that's like, I'm really, really friendly and humanizing. Then when, <laughs> humanizing. Yes. Yes. And usually, like, if they're just sometimes, if it is just like that, you know, twelve end of a twelve-hour shift or whatever, and like they like treat my client better. But if then if it's not, if there is something where I have to put my foot down, like she said, she didn't want you to break her water, and you're you've still got your hand, in, yeah. and like I know what you're about. To, then by the time it comes to that, then like we have more of a rapport mm-hmm. where they're going to take me a little more seriously because they know they know I didn't just come in like with my fists yeah. raised. Like I'm ready yeah. to fight, but I'm not like looking for it. Yeah. Hmm. So a lot of like preventative work. Yeah. Which doesn't th- always work. But I think it takes a lot of prep work too in talking to the clients like at the prenatal mm-hmm. visits like, hey, look, you're going into a system that is trained this way mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. they want to do cervical checks they want to have you pushing on your back like that's just how they are um so having that prep work done in the prenatal visits to tell them like hey when you go in check into the the triage like ask them if they have a nurse that is familiar with um unmedicated birth mm-hmm. right because if you don't have a nurse that's familiar with unmedicated birth guess what she's gonna want to do all the needle sticking and all the cervical checks right like she they just don't know better yeah. um or different but yeah prep work ahead of time is really important i think it's so so challenging i think about this all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. i know For um sure. But it's it's so hard because it's a system we're fighting, right? It's like we're fighting the patriarchy here, right. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, you know, it's it's the medical staff, the OP, their training is traumatic. Like how they're trained to do their job and show up what they do is like kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, 
there's the whole liability issue. And this extends, honestly, beyond the hospital, even to, like, registered um, midwives, you know? It's like, and I think people don't realize the responsibility they're taking on they're take, uh, by taking you on as, as a patient, um, the birthing person. And so they're, at the end of the day, feel this immense pressure, um, a.k.a. fear, that's driving, <laughs> that can drive, like, how they're wanting to manage their birth. And so... Um, but like Daniela was saying, I think it's really important to have the conversations prenatally about and just around like the education of understanding like, hey, when you're choosing to go birth in a hospital for so many reasons, like that A may be the only option you have that may be, um, I don't know, where you feel safest. And that's totally OK. But also understand like you're stepping into your birth being actively managed as mm-hmm. opposed to being passively managed. Right. And these are the things you're going to have to navigate. And I want to um, cut it off where I can. But at the end of the day, like you're going to have to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. And like I'm here to help you try to do that. Um, and then, you know, it's, I think the other aspect that can be so hard is like, I, I came into this work through the avenue of home birth midwifery and like this really like hands off, like, like, you know, we're letting the birthing person lead us on, the, you know, we're just there um, as support <laughs> on the other end. And my first hospital birth as a doula, my client had, um, for her, a pretty straightforward second time birth on the epidural, and she had a great experience. Meanwhile, I was standing there, like, semi-traumatized by, like, different things I was seeing being done to her because mm-hmm. I was like, that's not necessary. Yeah. Why are you pulling on the card right, the cord right now? Mm-hmm. I had the OB look up to me and look me in the eyes after the baby was delivered and say, oh, isn't natural birth just so overrated? Wow. And I was just, this is my first wow. birth in the hospital. And I was good just talk. like, oh my God. <laughs> um, like, why are you violating her? And I think that's the other aspect that can be so hard is even like, sometimes our clients actually have good experience, but we yeah. walk away carrying this thing of like, what did I just witness? Right. What did I just see happen? And how do I navigate that? And, and then mm-hmm. I, you know, then the self-talk of like, what could I have done to yeah. like save them from this or yes. that? But at the end of the day, it's like we are this system is, man, yeah. it's but they something. Don't see, they don't see all the things that you're cutting off. Like they didn't right. know that you were having that conversation with the nurse out in the hall yeah. to say, like, can you please stop referring mm-hmm. to her by yeah. the wrong or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, can you stop doing it? Or they don't the- know when you see the OB get the scissors out and start yes. prepping and yes. start putting. We um, see it all. Oh. We hold so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really intense. I often, for your question about coping mechanisms, I'm usually texting like other doulas being like this fucked up person just said this fucked yeah. up thing mm-hmm. and usually just like letting it out that I'm able to like all right yeah. now how am I gonna like deal with this yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that's it <laughs> just yeah. ranting really yeah when this question came to be um yeah obviously it's a huge question and it brings up a lot and one of the things that it reminds me of is how popular birth work conversations can appear very polarizing right where it's like home birth, free birth, or, you know, as if, like, free birth is the only true liberational um, option or or hospital birth is the only uh, responsible mm-hmm. option, you know. Mm-hmm. That, and what I think is important to r- r- realize is that 
we need everyone. Mm-hmm. Like we need people who are so firmly believing in free birth and unassisted birthing that they can have this skill set and the articulation and the experience to support people and accessing that deep, deep bravery and trust and surrender. Mm-hmm. And all the while, I think we need the folks who are literally willing to take anyone for a client who are, who's willing to birth anywhere, mm-hmm. um, knowing that in relation to power and privilege, a lot of folks don't have options financially mm-hmm. to birth elsewhere. And also we live in a place with with this built upon systems of oppression. So mm-hmm. as you know, we mentioned, I can't remember if, it, if it's this episode or last episode, where um, folks who are who are socialized as, as female, for example, are literally raised to put their reproductive well-being in the hands of experts, mm-hmm. where yeah. we're raised to put our, our sexuality, our, our bodies into other people, into, into our parents, into our partners, right? Like we don't begin until someone else comes into the picture kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's just the female body, let alone folks, you know, who, who are queer or trans, who's, you know, who's suddenly their sexuality or their bodies is like a fascinating experiment, right? Like there's so many, so many dynamics that have been layered into our bones that when we enter the birth room, it can seem you know, it can seem easy logistically to be like, yeah, and you can decline cervical checks whenever you want because they're not medically necessary. Right. It can seem logistically easy. But then when you're talking to someone who's literally their entire life never been told that they have a right mm-hmm. to even have an opinion, mm-hmm. let alone you know, asking them to voice it in the moment and to hold that boundary consistently, you know, for, for someone who's been told that that they're that they're. Um, that their skin, that their people, that their cultural practices are just like wives' tales, right? Mm-hmm. That they're like lesser than, you know, after a lifetime of being told that that white male doctor is truly the person who knows what's best, right. you know, to like suddenly tell them, oh, hey, no, like now's the time to stand up for yourself. It makes sense that there are people who just don't want to. There yeah. makes sense that there's people that are just like, I just want to go along with whatever my, whatever the care providers want to do. And and I feel like it's all important. It's important for all of us to hold our peace mm-hmm. in this, because it's all needed. Like we mm-hmm. need the people behind the scenes who are who can tell you like actually the way that your grandmother took care of you and your belly ached like that was genius. Mm-hmm. Like that was solid. We need someone to go and be like actually like what does pleasure mean to you? Mm-hmm. And do you want to say yes? Do you want to say no? Do you need more information? You know like. All those threads come into the birth experience. And as birth workers, we're, a lot of times we're able to see them mm-hmm. as they are. We can, we can put these names on there like racism and homophobia. And like we, can, we can articulate it in certain ways. And it's their birth. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We can't define it for them. Nope. I, yeah. I recently had a client say, I was like, what do you, how do you, prepping for these kinds of conversations what to do if somebody suggests something and she said literally whatever my husband wants I can't make those kinds of decisions Ooh. it's entirely up to him and I was like wow. like what do you what do you do with that she yeah. kept saying it that is what I want is just whatever he wants I had a mama one time who said I asked her like well what if you do what if it does end up in induction well you know I rather have the doctors and the medical staff make those decisions because if something happens like I didn't say it. I didn't do it. Like, I don't want the responsibility, Mm -hmm. which I get. Like, that's an intense thing. 
And it's it's not like that's a really good point you bring up, Kelia. It's not always just the hospital. Yeah. It's the dynamics and like giving I've I've been in a birth where I've watched the partner talk the birthing person into getting a cesarean mm, when it same. was like really not necessary at least in my perspective Mm -hmm. um and that's so disheartening but coming back to what Ari said it's like I say this like a mantra not just to myself but to my all my doula comrades um it is not our birth at the end of the day and and we have to settle on that and um while I probably have a preference to mm-hmm. to give my resources to folks that are really like ready to you know do this a different way mm-hmm. um it, at the end of the day I'm I, that's if I'm if that's not the the path they're taking then then that's that's that that's okay too that's yeah. like right. their own whatever and we don't know all the things you know yeah. like there's there's such like you're saying area like when you're coming from like more marginalized identities or different oppressions and like different trauma like yeah we just don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. why you have to make and then there's a whole cultural aspect of how we're trait like the god complex of doctors mm-hmm. right and like or if you're an immigrant in in this country and like yeah, you can't talk back to like authority figures yeah. or whatever. Or you might not have the language to say like, yeah. "I want an epidural" yeah. or "I don't want an epidural." Oh my god! Yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as I would love to just continue, there's actually more questions here, but we're we've run out of time. Mm. Oh. I want to thank y'all so much. <laughs> I hope that you leave this space feeling good and not, "Oh shit, why did I say that in public?" <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I know that it it took some bravery <laughs> to agree to have this conversation with me, and I appreciate it. And um, normally, I invite folks to have a more spacious closing, where if any words of wisdom or pieces of advice or just anything that's coming up. Um, but for the sake of time, I just invite you all to take a deep breath with me. and to share one sentence in closing. Remember who you are. Mm. Yeah. Find your truth. And hold um, self-compassion and kindness very, very close to you. The music you heard on today's show is Pink by Janelle Monet. Deep gratitude to Daniela Morales, Kelia Elder, and Brooke Patmore for being our guests. Follow me on Instagram at birthbruja to continue the conversation. I've been your host, Ari Guajardo Johnson. The Birth Bruja podcast is produced by Catherine Petru of We Rise. Be sure to check out show notes for links and resources. Follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes to help us expand the impact of this work. Until next time, my friends, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude. Crazy pink as we all go insane.